0: It's May 25th, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on Box Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with community activist Julie Lawrence. Hi, Julie. Hi, Acacia. So tell me, how long have you been on Williamsburg's north side?
1: I moved to Williamsburg in January
0: of 1989 from the West Village. And so, what got you into community activism?
1: I started to do some. I started taking urban planning classes when I was taking some classes at Columbia and got sort of interested in the um, dynamic between the university and the community in Harlem, which was very intense at the time. And wasn't having a lot of success at going into Harlem, and um, people weren't responding all that well. So a few years after that, Um, I must have been looking for something to do, and I saw a notice for a meeting at someone's home. This would have been Ann and Peter Larson. I don't know if anyone else has mentioned them. And um, I went to a meeting for WHOOP, which was at the time called Williamsburg Greenpoint, organized for an open process. I had no idea what it was about. I knew it was some sort of community thing, and I got involved in the last few weeks of planning a community charrette about what is now East River State Park and
0: what would happen to that piece of property, a full-day charrette. All right. And so what 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 happened after that? What were you what were you drawn into working on? Uh, so after that, so that the community board, which I didn't really know
1: much about the community board at the time, but the community board had begun working on this 197 a plan process probably also around 89 which community, I don't know if it still technically exists but it is it was a chart provision 197 a of the New York City Charter that I believe had been amended in 1988 perhaps and gave communities the ability to work with either under sponsorship of the borough president's office or the community board to engage in their own planning process that would have sort of a more um, official piece where it would go through a whole process with the city planning commission. And WHOOP was it sort of, I think it petered out, and then the guy who was the chair of the community board's waterfront committee, Ron Webster, um, invited all these folks from WHOOP to get involved. Now, I had not, whoop, I believe, I believe it came into existence because folks in that group like Peter Gillespie and Hank Linhart and others, John, um, Gail Vashon and John, forgetting his, Ruben, um, were all upset that there was some private meeting at Giando's. Have you heard about this? No. And, um, that was supposedly for the community board or had something to do with the community board and this planning process, but the public wasn't invited. So I think that's how WHOOP got started, but I wasn't around for that. So I was very curious about this planning process, and since I had begun to be interested in planning at Columbia, although I realized in sixth grade we built cities on the floor of our classrooms, and I thought that was really cool, I just began to get involved, I wasn't a member of the community board, but I started becoming a part of this process. And uh, it was about the same time, I think maybe I got involved in NAG a year after that, but this was sort of the underlying work that I sort of eventually did. Um, And over time, I sort of became a coordinator of that process, and then
0: eventually was the chair of of that waterfront committee when the work wrapped up. Right. And so when you started working with NAG, what was the main issue that they were working on? The main
1: issue that NAG was working on was that I believe Mayor Giuliani wanted to build a waste transfer station at what is now the East River State Park, It was the Brooklyn Eastern District Terminal. And there was already a waste transfer station, I believe, immediately to the south that was owned by, I can't remember his name, but he was a mafia type and if you've spoken to Peter, I would think he's probably told you the story about he was videotaping him and he kind of, anyway. So it was just something that really drew me in and there were meetings and it just, it just became something that I became part of because there was a sense that folks were coming together to improve things in the neighborhood. The waterfront, as I'm sure you've seen photos, was completely, the whole Brooklyn Eastern District Terminal was just, like, it was, it was blocked off, it was, you know, it had been abandoned, I'm not sure how many years earlier, but within the decade, I think. Well, within the 80s. Um, and we, at this charrette that I mentioned earlier, and this was, I think, where I really kind of connected to this work, talked about, well, what do we see for the future of this waterfront, and how can we be kind of the stewards of that future, and how can we get the community involved to talk about what they want to see, and then how can we make that happen? Right,
0: and was the community responsive when you were trying to reach out to get their opinions on things?
1: Very. I think we had at that particular, um, that that particular, in it was February of 1993, that charrette became a model for charrettes that we did later with the waterfront committee. We had four more. Um, and it was, you know, when I'm seeing these things on on the table, all these drawing things, it was a really amazing day. We fed people from 9 in the morning until I think 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, and um, just it was all about people talking about different areas of the waterfront in the neighborhood and how to make them more accessible, more safe, more green, more community-friendly, and how to bring the community together ultimately.
0: Well, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but talking about that I mean how do you feel about what's happened to the waterfront now and um, compared to what you envisioned with with the community then so I think for m- most
1: of us I think we would have to tell you those of us who were involved early on you know over 20 years ago that we're not really that surprised because at the time nobody cared about this area but I think it was clear to all of us that it you know There were all these different economic and political forces at play. And at some point, people were going to wake up and something was going to change. So, you know, when, and sometimes I would, over the years, sometimes I would be asked to speak at different college classes or something. And I remember the last time I spoke at a college class was maybe 10 years ago at Hunter. And one particular young woman said, so, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel like you failed? and um, i said well that's an interesting question i can see why you would ask that question i said but at the same time what i think happened was there were so many disparate elements over the years different communities that weren't really as connected as they could have been and we really i think it brought all these different processes of fighting the uh, well initially fighting the waste transfer station and fighting for the park Working on the 197A, and then eventually fighting the two power plants that we fought, and then the, the more recent um, things for the parks that I have not been involved in, but people like Catherine and Dewey, and others, Steve Chester. Um, it's I really think it's brought people and organizations together in ways that they had not been before. And one thing that I, and 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 I, I do also want to add that I mean we had a lot of support from. Um, from academic institutions such as Pratt, Columbia, Hunter, many different schools supported our efforts over these years and there was different money allocated by, um, by different elected officials, primarily I think Ken Fisher as the council person and others. So we had some, a number of consultants, uh, Ron Schiffman from the what is now called the Pratt Center, used to be called Pratt P-I-C-C-E-D. These were progressive and kind of leftist planners who were really interested in in helping us and working with
0: us. What did they do? What did Pratt help you do? I haven't heard about that. Um,
1: Yeah, they had Pratt a huge amount of support for, as well as Municipal Art Society. When it had a whole different, it had a progressive arm to it that it does not anymore. They gave us tremendous amount of um, uh, technical assistance. This was for Eastern District Park. It was really for the 197A planning process, right? and that, so that went on for many, many years, and we were able to hire people like, I don't know if you, you probably know Rob Paris from CB1 in Brooklyn. He's the district manager of Community Board 1 in Brooklyn, or Community Board 2, I'm sorry, Community Board 2, sorry. Um, He was a graduate student at Syracuse at the time. He used to live on Ground Street, and he was doing a lot of the writing of the 197A narrative. A woman also by the name of Jocelyn Chayette, who is a planner. I think she has a background as an architect. She is not a community member. She's lived on the east side ever since, mostly since she's been in New York, but she was very involved. Ron Schiffman, um, I think people like Eva Hanhart, other people from different institutions, but they were really key in helping this process and supporting the 197A. The park was really something that was I think, community-driven, and, of course, TPL got involved as well.
0: Well, and So moving on to other issues in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. what other kind of environmental issues were sort of at the forefront when you were working with NAC or when you first started
1: So out? even before I got here, I was aware of the whole issue with the incinerator, um, or I was aware of it going on. I wasn't sure when it had started. I was never involved with that. Um, that was sort of the first main issue environmental issue that i really knew about and and as i said as i think i said to you sort of offline i don't i don't know how many of us thought of these things as environmental issues i think we were just a group of folks who wanted to make the community better and more cohesive and more inviting for everybody not just those of us who were new but for those of us who had been here And that's something that I think is really, you know, that's that has changed. So I don't know that I really answered your question about how things, you know, did they get? What do I think of them? I think I think they're pretty much what I would have expected to happen, um, knowing money and power. But I do think that we won a lot of we won a lot of gains by getting the East River State Park doing things, there is a lot with the rezoning that I would have done very differently, and the, um, I'm probably not the best person to speak to those things, but, you know, the um, inclusionary zoning and a lot of things that I could go off on a tangent and criticize certain elected officials, and I and I don't really want to do that, but um, I still think it brought
0: everyone together. Well, let me ask you like about that, about the disparate groups that were mm-hmm. working together. I mean, how. What was the, was it the park? What was it that brought the groups together? Because you're talking about like North Side, South Side? Well, so I really think that um, it was, I really think
1: that after folks started getting active it was really the, to me, the 197A planning process that really kind of brought everyone together. And when Ron Webster was the chair of the Waterfront Committee of the Community Board, I was, again, not a member of the Community Board at the time, not until 2000. I sort of appointed myself, like, the coordinator. And at one point, we would be having these meetings very often at places like the Polish Slavic Center. And um, I noticed, you know, there were pretty much four distinct communities that were involved in this process. So it was Greenpoint, Northside Williamsburg, Southside Williamsburg, and what's what's I don't know how it's called now, but South Williamsburg, the Hasidic community, and everybody had very much their own disparate ideas and thoughts, and there were disagreements. And so I said, "Wait a minute! And I didn't think it was my idea." So wait a minute. Let's get this strategy where we create four groups where people can go off and and work in on their own issues together, and then come back to the full group and and continue. And we did that for many months or years. And that kind of, in my opinion, helped strengthen the eventual cohesion of how we had to, um, you know, moderate different issues and needs in the community. And I think it really got all these different groups working together, St. Nick's, United Jewish Organizations. um, uh, I'm sure you are familiar with Rich Mazer and North Brooklyn Development Corporation. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Annette Lamato. She used to run something called NCDC, the Northside Community Development, something. Anyway, there were so many people who came together. And if you look at the one ninety seven plan, look at all the list of all the people. Um, yeah, and, and so there was sort of one person who was kind of appointed to be like the chair of that little group, and then people would come together. And so I think, and I think people f- forget about that. And um, I really think that was... That and the rezoning, I think, brought together people at different stages from different parts of the community. Well, it always seems like it's an issue that brings everybody together,
0: like a big issue. Well, you
1: know, it kind of has to be because if everything is going on fine, la-di-da, then you don't need to necessarily bring people together unless they're going to a country club or something. Um, And since, you know... Uh, that's not something that's really going on al- along he- around here. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the way communities become stronger is there's some sort of a threat, and they need to come together, and they
0: need to come up with strategies and solutions. Well, moving on to now, mm-hmm. what do you think our environmental, our biggest environmental issues are right now? So those are a lot of good questions because I will be honest with you
1: that I am so much less. I used to be involved with like every possible group out there and helped found at least some of them. And um, so I, I have decided that there are other people who can take the mantle and move on. So I think continuing issues, I mean, I think transportation is a huge issue. We tried to get a transportation study done years and years and years ago. We could never get that through. Uh, I think all of the issues that I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't work as closely with NAG as I used to, but I know that they're doing things with um, brownfields, and I know this Newhart factory has been a situation for many years. So I think that, issues that existed, they've, they've existed for years and years and years, and they will continue. The Newtown Creek, so I'm sure uh, you know Willis Elkins, and certainly have spoken to him, and he's another, to me, young rising star who I have been so happy to work with through the North Brooklyn Boat Club as a board member of the Boat Club, and so those are, you know, the issues along Newtown Creek, to me, that's some, something that's really compelling, And the need for the cleanup of the the um super fund for like for like a couple of months i think i was like chair of the environmental committee at the community board because there's like nobody else to do it and i think that's when they designated it a superfund site and um so i think that's extremely important and i think that i mean for me the work is not simply environmental justice but it's also social justice and where it's hard to talk about social justice in a community that now has the what I would describe as wealth profile as it does now, when I started working here, it was really a bunch of what I would describe as white ethnic people who were probably lucky if they had a, you know, most of them probably had maybe a high school education. There was also a large Latino population here as well, and then the Hasidic population, the Latino population sort of in North Greenpoint, and then also obviously in the South Side. Um, And so for me, I'm more concerned about the effects of gentrification and the loss of a, an integrated social fabric. Not more concern, but that's my what, what matters to me the most in terms of any communities in New York City that are going through economic and social changes. And, and you want good things to happen. You want neighborhoods to get better. You look at the Bronx now. I do some stuff in the Bronx. Um, some volunteer work in the Bronx and used to run a little nonprofit there and people want a better more stable neighborhood but then where's the line where people who've been there can stay and so those are those are the issues that are that are nearest and dearest to my heart because I feel, I feel like in this community we won many battles and that's great um, and I think it's continuing to do things like work on the Newtown Creek and um, make sure that housing is affordable here and make sure that people aren't getting displaced. Those are the things that are the most important to me.
0: Well, yeah, because it seems like I mean you probably could speak well to where you are in Williamsburg just to have seen what's happened there and to see how Greenpoint you know is a couple like a decade behind as far as the the development. But um what's going to happen to this part of Greenpoint? That has historically been uh, Latino, and that's kind of changing. It's historically been Latino, but also very Polish Fish. over here, um,
1: and also a lot of artists. I mean, listen, uh, there were artists living illegally at GMDC for years and years and years in all of these buildings, and then you know something like Seventy One Commercial, which is in the process of legalization. So, I mean, there was just such a mix of of people always, and that's you know the question that everybody asks where in new york where anywhere like you you know i read the new york times and every city in the country is having some form of gentrification you want to see positive changes you want to see new businesses but you also want to see middle income people and low
0: income people and wealthier people all being able to live together right when you talk about money and power being the things that sort of mess this all up for everybody how, what do you think how do you think things could change around here I mean I know that everything is already set up but with your experience like, how do you keep a community like this together and still have the, the changes where you you get the riverfront to be cleaned up and made accessible and parkland well so I
1: guess you know th- there will always be something else to work on so um, and so I mean the things even the things that are happening here we knew they were like they it was all you know the rezoning was 2005 that's already 14 years ago um, I think the positive things that I see so there are a lot of people here who will never get involved and there were probably there were people before who would never get involved I don't have you ever heard about Irene Clementovich and I was just saying to a friend today why well, I stopped by the boat club to, to say hello to folks because I realized I couldn't really volunteer at the public battle um, and I was walking with uh, someone, Kate Bell, and I said, oh, do you know, you know this woman, Irene Kleventovic? And I, and I look at someone like her, and people have been active in this neighborhood. I don't know that I'm answering your question, but people have been active in this neighborhood probably since at least the 50s. Like, Irene, mean, there were many, Elizabeth Ronchetti, and all these people who were very active and um, I feel like this community, for some reason, has a legacy of activists affiliated with it. There are people like Marty Needleman, who just retired, because I walked by Teddy's and saw big photos of him. <laughs> I was like, oh, I think Marty must be retired. Um, other people that I knew in other parts of my life who had been in part of this, there was a huge group of, um, oh, what were they? They were. There's I forget what it was, but some program in the 60s and the 70s where they were bringing all these young college graduates to work in Williamsburg, which I think is really important to sort of look into. One, one of the lawyers that I used to work with in one of my jobs at the Brooklyn Bar Association, he was part of that. And there was a woman, Ann Yeomans, who was part of that, who many years ago went back to Boston. She was part of WHOOP and NAG. Um, so there's a long, long legacy here of activism. And that may be true in a lot of neighborhoods in New York, but there's something about this community that has always drawn activists. And so, there will always be wealthy people in towers or other people who don't really care and don't really take, like one, one thing that to me is a, is a concern is that we've never been able to get together a group, a friends group for um, East River State Park. Just, I don't know why, but, and I think part of it is that the people who live closest to the park are just different people with different thoughts and needs and you know and so that hasn't happened but there are i look at an organization like for instance the boat club which sounds like a very snooty and it's like oh the boat club it sounds like a yacht how's the yacht club people will say um but it has drawn a whole new crew of younger people in their 20s and up who most of them have been here for a while But it brings people from different parts of the city together. And while the Boat Club is about also having fun, it's a huge focus is environmental advocacy. And so that's how I see this particular community being able to continue its connection to advocacy. I think that Newtown Creek Alliance, uh, Kate, not thinking of her last name, but... Sider? Yes. Kate, who... You obviously know who she is, and all these people. Over time, so many people have contributed to this, and I think a lot of us have spoken. And this was kind of something we spoke about the night that we all were together, uh, talking about Nag. It's it would be so wonderful to create like a historic index of everything that's gone on for many, many, many years. And then, and then when we saw each other at um, what's his name, the guy who did the Jeff Cobb, Jeff Cobb, you know. There's been activism in this community for probably hundreds of years, right? Labor activism, different things. Yeah. So I think there will always be people who are compelled to do things to keep the neighborhood um, accessible to the community. And hopefully there will always be some new people to get involved. Older, you know, it's good when, it's good when there's a mix of the different generations of people
0: working on, on issues. Was well, there anything else that you'd like to say about the area? Um, you know, like, as I
1: ride my bike around, I still, I mean, when I moved here, what I loved about this area, I and mean, the reason I came here, I was like, oh, well, I'm living on the end of, the, and I didn't really take the L train, because in those days you didn't really want to take the L train. Um, but I was like, oh, well, this is, uh, gee, this Bedford Avenue is on the L train, so why not? It was the sense of, there was some sense of, I think it was a sense of possibility with these very, very interesting warehouses and interesting people that I would meet who are working here, artists and activists. And I think that this community will always retain that sense of possibility, and I hope that we can all continue to contribute to that.
0: Julie, well, thank you for sharing your story (laughs) and all your work that you've done.
1: Thank you.